Section 9. Password is Next Step. Next, founded and led by Steve Jobs, developed new hardware, a new OS, and importantly, entirely new object-oriented tools to build programs for their platform. Their computers were not selling well yet, but there was a growing belief that the technology was unique and forward-looking. Due in no small part to Jobs himself, the industry stood up and took notice. One person really noticed. That was Bill G. Steve Jobs was famously separated from Apple in 1985 and later created Next Incorporated, along with several key members of the original Apple Macintosh team. He also started Pixar, but that's another story. Next produced three main products and had recently been refreshed with new models after the 1988 launch. First, there was the Next Computer, which was a blazing fast workstation computer, along with an incredible display, fancy optical drive, and a laser printer. Second was the operating system that ran on that computer, object-oriented, of course, with a graphical user interface called NextStep. And third, an incredibly rich set of tools for programmers to build object-oriented GUI programs for the hardware and OS called Interface Builder. The whole product was launched in 1988 as almost super Macintosh, or at least that was viewed that way by many. It was covered broadly across the mainstream press because of the fascination with home computers and, of course, Steve Jobs. By this point, many local newspapers were covering home computers as a regular section, something that seemed inconceivable just a few years earlier. Next step, while object-oriented, did not use C++, but a different object-oriented language, which only made it seem cooler. Bill G. always believed strongly in having complete ownership of a programming language, and thus his general reservations around C++, as I would soon learn, was particularly interested in the use of Objective-C. The online version includes the October 1988 Newsweek cover of Steve Jobs showing just the amazing press he could command. On my first college recruiting trip to Cornell in search of more Microsofties, I visited my old lab where many of the Macintosh computers were replaced with Next computers. Steve Jobs' new company followed the same marketing plan that Apple followed with the launch of Macintosh, convincing a number of computer science departments to make a bet on Next. This would not be the first time a recruiting trip to Cornell would show me something unexpected. Scott Randall procured a Next computer with the new pizza box form factor, like a true workstation, and we would explore it late into the night, sharing our discoveries with each other and the rest of the team. It was truly a marvel of engineering and experience. It was amazing to me that a computer and software built from scratch could do so much. Technically, much of the core operating system was built on a research project foundation from Carnegie Mellon University known as Mock, which this becomes important later in the story. The online version has a photo of the next workstation pizza box form factor. It ran a full 32 bits and running a variant of Unix under the graphical interface, it rivaled the workstations I used in graduate school. It featured a level of sophistication in software and features that made Windows 3.0 PCs seem almost toy-like while having an ease of use of a packaged product like Macintosh. It cost almost $10,000 in 1990 dollars and had minimal support from mainstream software makers who were already busy navigating MS-DOS, Windows, OS2, and Macintosh. Still, the capabilities were so significant that Next was viewed as a major strategic threat. Microsoft, as I was learning, frequently used threat to describe competitors. Scott explained to me the importance of competing with Next, but I had difficulty grokking what that meant for our little team tasked with building cross-platform tools. By the way, the online version includes the LA Times style section from the time showing the Next computer and how widespread the press was for the product. It became increasingly clear to me, however, why our source code server was named Objects. 
Scott cleverly named the share or the file point on the server Dart, a joke that was lost on me for years. Get it? Objects to art. I'll never forget the first time he told me the password. He said, the password is next step. Capitalize correctly, Stephen. Everyone by then knew it was next step with a capital X and T and S in the middle, or maybe a next step with only a lowercase e. While I had no firsthand knowledge, the idea was in the air that Bill G was frustrated at trailing a product by Steve Jobs. Next appeared to be a better product than anything Microsoft was about to ship or had planned for the foreseeable future. One of the things I'm thankful for is having a direct competitor at such an early stage in my career. While how to compete was fuzzy, it was clear what we were supposed to compete with. Rumors of what Bill G thought were cool or competing products or features would race around the company, and Next was one of those products. Microsoft was a product company, so the fact that it cost so much money or sold so few units was no excuse for knowing what a product did or why it was viewed as good and what we would do about it. Bill G was and remains fiercely competitive and would often drive conversations about competitors in a relentless fashion, never allowing a team to dismiss one aspect of a competitor simply because of some relative weakness, no matter how overwhelming a weakness it might be. A product that is fantastic but not selling well at all is every bit as formidable a competitor as your actual number one competitor. At least that is how we had to treat it when it came to Bill. The rivalry between Bill and Steve Jobs was real. Everyone knew about it. We'd been through yearly company meeting updates on the litigation between Microsoft and Apple and could read the trade press reviews of Macintosh versus Windows. That's why our little team was funded. It was why our conference room had a next computer costing as much as four developer PCs. The systems division was responsible for delivering the SDK for the platform, and though they relied on the tools team to deliver the underlying compilers and other tools, the SDK was supposed to make it possible to build GUI applications. Unfortunately, the tools were mostly bare minimum and lacked the elegance seen on Macintosh and Next. The systems team, aware of Next and the high bar it set, staffed an additional, smaller team to build much more innovative and competitive tools for both OS2 and Windows. I had no idea what they were up to. Bill G did, of course, but now Microsoft had two small teams chartered to compete with Next, while the much larger teams in Windows and Tools were not focused on Next as a competitor. This struck me as weird, but what did I know? Jeff Harbors, emailed Jeff, had firsthand knowledge of the Bill G. Steve Jobs rivalry. Jeff was the engineering manager for apps and led many of the earliest apps products back when the team was merely one group of developers assigned to projects as needed much like a typical startup. He was hired to bring a level of experience and engineering quality to apps and was part of the founding apps team at Microsoft. Jeff was the first person hired by Charles Simone. He had been in the middle of many technical conversations between Bill G and Steve Jobs during the development of Macintosh and Microsoft's commitment to delivering Word and Excel with the release of the Mac in 1984. Above all, though, Jeff had a well-earned reputation for being direct and accountable, with a strong commitment to excellence in engineering and quality, owing to his background in traditional mechanical engineering more than the hacker ethos. Jeff's email name did not have the first letter of his last name, because there weren't any other Jeffs when he arrived. I thought this was kind of cool, but it drove Bill G. kind of nuts. Still, Jeff insisted on maintaining Jeff as his email, so Bill G. created an alias that directed email sent to Jeff H. to a Jeff account, just so we didn't have to see Jeff. Years later, with Microsoft's more friendly email system, the alias Jeff H. was spelled out as Jeff Harbor's forwarding alias for Bill G. That was what happened when Stubborn met Stubborn. 
The online version has a personal photo of mine of Jeff Harbors in his office just prior to us moving to Building 17 when he became our team's manager. So it has all the typical Microsoft items, the giant wooden desk, the Microsoft monitor stand, the corkboard, whiteboard, email terminal, and a lot of paper. This photo means the world to me. Uh, Jeff had passed away tragically in 2006. Given his skill and experience and his understanding of apps development, Bill G. tasked Jeff with merging the two teams and creating one new group to take on Next Step and to bring innovation and object-oriented tools like Next Step to Windows and OS2 development. OS2 was still top of mind in 1990. This marked the start of a Microsoft entry into object-oriented development tools. Because this team spanned both apps and systems, and Jeff was an apps person, the team reported to Mike Maples, email Mike Mapp, vice president of the application software division. Little did I know, but this spanning of apps and systems while reporting to apps was quite a crazy structure and was a condition upon which Jeff would even run the team. Microsoft was still a startup in the sense of the CEO creating ad hoc organizations around an individual. Mike Mapp transformed Microsoft and set it up to be the product company it is today, quite literally. He joined Microsoft in the summer of 1988 as one of the earliest VPs of the company. So much of Microsoft culture today, that of Office, the quality of the products, and most all of the scaling of Office from a chaotic, infinitely buggy, siloed organization to one of the largest and most profitable software engineering product teams in the world, is a debt owed to Mike Mapp. Mike was the opposite of the Microsoft archetype. Older than most, having graduated from college in 1965, the year I was born, he grew up in Oklahoma and attended Oklahoma City University and earned an MBA as well prior. Prior to his Microsoft, he worked at IBM for more than two decades. The news of his hire caused a lot of worry about blue shirt suits, white shirts, meetings with foils, those were called slides by IBM, even songs. Yes, IBM had corporate songs. The stories of IBM's process were legendary at Microsoft because of the close working partnership between companies and systems and across IBM. Instead, Mike, with his disarming Oklahoma accent, showed up in plaid, button-down shirts. Both Mike and Jeff would soon become two of the most important mentors at Microsoft, for me and many others. Under direction of Bill G., Jeff assembled a new founding team and included two developers who I was in, the, in awe of, Brad Christian, email Brad CH, and Rick Powell, email Rick P. And also from Systems, Microsoft legend Neil Konzen, email Neil K, and Garth Hitchens, email Garth H. Plus me, the new kid. Scott Ra reported to Jeff. He would quickly attract more from inside the company, and we were soon about 10 software design engineers. Brad was one of the main developers on Windows Word. Rick was a, likewise a key developer on Excel. Neil was an original original, joining Microsoft while in high school, biking over to the offices. He worked on the Apple Z80 soft card that Microsoft offered, Multiplan, Windows, and was leading the graphical subsystem of OS2, and much more. Famously, Neil wrote the basic game, Donkey, that shipped with MS-DOS originally. His initials, NK, were also embedded in every Multiplan file as an identifier. The online version has a video of the donkey.bass program running on an original IBM PC XT under DOS 1.1. The charter of this new group was defined by the aggressive mission to utilize the latest and object-oriented C++ technology to provide tools and libraries for developers writing the most advanced GUI applications on the market. In the context of the time, this was wide open and importantly had all the buzzwords that mattered, object-oriented, GUI, C++, and for Microsoft, developers. I was new to corporate organization tensions, but they were readily visible. 
Alone and having not done much for a year, I felt it. Between the two parts of our new team, the apps tools part and the systems part, there was somewhat of a rivalry given we were jammed together in a typical corporate reorg. Add to that a concern about having Jeff as our manager. At least that's what I was hearing in the hallways at night. A big deal of time, the one that had played out before my arrival, Jeff came with a history that made some people uneasy. Back when Jeff was an overall engineering manager in apps, the most significant and somewhat out-of-control project at the time was the first version of Word for Windows. This project became legendary as both an incredible success after the fact and an incredible death march while it was happening. The project was even in a Harvard Business School case study that detailed the frustration the developers had with management. Photocopies of photocopies of that case study seemed to be in everyone's file cabinet. While not referenced by name, the case study stated that upper management referred to the Word team as, quote, the worst in applications development. The online version has an excerpt of that case study. The worst team description came from Jeff around the time he reached a breaking point. This led to a 12-month leave of absence, uncommon at the time, but his decision. His characterization of the team ruffled feathers even when he returned one year later. But in truth, the development of Word for Windows caused several people to reach their limits. Many moved on. As I learned from Zero Defects, the early big projects had a lot of problems, and those had a lot of causes. Jeff was more of a symptom than a cause. At least that's what I came to conclude. While we were eager to start, Jeff insisted we first come together as a team at a retreat to help alleviate the angst. The retreat felt like one of those Dilbert-esque corporate team-building offsites. Jeff was always a rugged individualist. He lived in Antarctica for a year before joining Microsoft. But his return from leave came with a bit of a reflective side that led to the offsite. Other than resident advisor training in college, I'd never participated in anything like this. Our team went to the Westin Hotel in Seattle, which was cool because I walked to the hotel from my Capitol Hill apartment, and we stayed overnight. Professional facilitators took us through a series of forgettable bonding and exploring exercises. We even lined up and passed oranges to each other from under our chins. It was like a scene from The Office. We spoke in pairs about our feelings and goals. We did trust exercises. Jeff talked a great deal about renewal, alluding to his word experience. At the end of the day, we had a fancy hotel dinner. It was the first time I ordered wine on Microsoft's tab. Actually, the first time ever, but that's another story. A bottle of red, which I then promptly tipped all over the table onto Brad. Later in the evening, Kirk Laram suggests we raid the minibar. It sounded like a good idea at the time, so we did. But I was reprimanded by Jeff once he saw the bill afterward. It was so terrifying that I thought I would get fired. But it also instilled, for the first time, my sense that Microsoft was indeed a startup when it came to spending money. The company had completed its first $1 billion sales year, while I got a stern talking to over the minibar. Back at work, job one was next step. We started building a cross-platform application framework, basically the starting point for using C++ and being object-oriented. The ET++ experiment we trained on was such a framework, but the marketplace was already flooded with such frameworks that aimed to make it easier to create GUI programs that worked easily on any GUI operating system. Borland, our real competitor, had such a framework called Object Windows Library, or OWL. Next Step was based on the Objective-C programming language, though, and not C++. The next system was alone in embracing this language, and that was the subject of much debate on Usenet discussion forums. Usenet was among the earliest internet services where mostly grad students exchanged ideas. It is often likened to today's Reddit. The main differentiator and key point of conflict on Usenet was that Objective-C had what was called garbage collection via reference counting to be technically specific. That memory management technique I favored in graduate school and then was abandoned once I was schooled in the real world by John Devon. 
Because we were to compete with Next, we needed to have everything Next Step had, but better. That was only logical. Our framework also used automatic garbage collection, which we were going to add to C++, going against the grain of the C++ language purist and most experienced people I knew, namely John Devon and Doug Clender. Given the construct of our group, Rick P. and Neil K., who built the windowing system, Scott Raw with experience in architecting applications, Brad C.H. and Garth H., and so on, we were like the X-Men, each with a superpower destined to be part of one significant framework. Except me. I had no experience doing anything. I brought to the table my academic background in data storage, what was known as object persistence, and garbage collection. So I worked on the ability of the framework to save and load objects from memory to disk. Everything we were doing was our own invention. It was neither Windows nor OS 2. It was not standard C++. It wasn't built using standard PC graphics. It was a perfectly consistent and well-architected system, unrelated to everything. To be fair to ourselves, that is how every application framework was done at the time. Our project needed a name. We referred to it by the generic name AF for application framework. One night, Scott and I were talking, and I mentioned that I saw an exhibit at Boeing about a new fighter jet, the FX or something. We joked about how there's always an X in cool products, and thus we christened the project AFX. Over the years, we would make many jokes about what it stood for, like Application Frameworks or Application Framework Extensions, but it was never an acronym. We spent about nine months building our framework. We were a product team. We were writing code, checking in code, building tests, doing all the things I thought a product team did. I was certainly naive. Jeff didn't see us making progress, and the experienced product people on the team knew this. Rick bemoaned the fact that this fact to me in his straightforward and honest manner at some of our nightly chats. We were spending a lot of time fighting the tools that didn't help us to do the non-standard things we were trying to do, as well as debating esoteric, almost academic, object-oriented philosophy, all while Next Step was getting better. To prove our work, Jeff declared App Month which was meant taking the time to use our framework to build apps ourselves to determine if our product made it easy for developers to create apps. Though we didn't realize it at the time, there was a method to Jeff's madness. Jeff was obsessed with getting customer feedback and understanding the customer we were building the product for, something already baked deeply into the app's culture. He told us to come up with an app on our own and spend a month building it using our framework. For my app month, I chose to build a personal finance app. I figured with our great framework and a month, I'd be able to beat the Microsoft money team led by Duck Clunder, which at the time was just two other developers. Really, I thought I could beat Doug because I had an application framework. I worked day and night, but I struggled with the tools. After a month, I created a bloated, slow, flaky program that only drew a check on screen and saved it to disk later for a reload. It didn't have a check register, it didn't print checks, it didn't do any math, it didn't have any accounts, pays, categories, or, well, anything. I disliked it, and I got the feeling everyone else did, too. I wasn't alone. My teammates all experienced the same problems in their apps, games, utilities, and productivity apps alike. None of us achieved anything impressive. Our mood sat somewhere between humiliated and disappointed. I was now 18 months or so into my career and was starting staring at the second time a project went nowhere. 